0: So from there, we go to you, John, the star of today. Oh, well. um, <laughs> can you um, introduce yourself quickly? Who are you? What are you doing? What are your plans?
1: Um, well, yeah. So I'll give you my 20-second skinny. So I've worked in digital uh, for just over 25 years now, uh, pre-web. That's my claim to fame back at Mm -hmm. uh, HyperCard. And then for those who remember it, Philips LaserDisc, which are these like 12 inch CDs um, Mm -hmm. built on HyperCard. And um, yeah, I built and designed because there wasn't like roles at the very beginning of of the web. Um, Some of the first websites, like the very first website for Wimbledon, the first website for like Cadbury's and, you know, there's a whole list of them when, people didn't even know what the web was (laughs) uh, quite frankly everyone was making it up. And, uh, since then I've worked in a whole suite of mainly in the agency side, but I've had some client roles as well. I think it's, uh, you know, important to sort of understand and just appreciate what goes on in businesses. Um, and some of them, you know, have been some pretty, pretty large, um, agencies like, uh, you know, tribal and Accenture and I've worked with a whole range of clients. um, The, in the UK, probably one of the biggest retailers that did a digital transformation project uh, is Argos. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was leading the experience team on that. And then I spent nearly three years um, working for Volkswagen, at an agency. And uh, yeah, uh, for the last sort of three years I've been a consultant. So I've worked in teams and on my own and, you know, for a whole suite of kind of different clients. Um, but always in that kind of, you know, UX space. And, um, yeah, the last year I, um, I don't know why I must be crazy. Um, I spent a big chunk of time, um, in the end writing a book on uh, service design and participation. And um, I'm just starting to share some of it now with the community. I don't have a master plan to for world domination. <laughs> not, not quite yet, anyway.
0: Not yet, exactly. Yes. Yeah, actually, um, that's how we got to the chair um, in the first place because you've been uh, you've been kind of taking some time out to to write the book. So, if you would have to, um, we we talked a bit about this beforehand so you go in in the book you go into a lot of different topics what would be kind of your your pitch of the of the book itself like what the topic is about and then we can from there kind of dive deeper
1: well i think the the main thing is around is the the role of a collection of people um you know whether that's like the leadership team um you know it could be kind of marketing directors It could be, you know, UX people or technologists or data people. And it's about together, how are you constructing a service which generates participation? Um, Because the the main thing which was happening, uh, it was happening organically as well. There was no kind of, um, there was no process to it, was... Companies having this need where they wanted to get their customers involved in their products frequently um, because you know some things have really long use cycles on them, so there's no actual massive value and uh, like why why would you have a relationship with a business and what I basically wanted to do is kind of I, I didn't start <laughs> my, my confession is I did not start writing a book. Uh, Mm. I I am not an author. Uh, well, I guess I wasn't, I had no, now. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, i done three projects that had, in my eyes failed, uh, Mm -hmm. which is a tough thing to say, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Where the recommendations, what, what, what the real opportunity that, that client org, and these are really big brands. I'm not going to name them, but, If I listed them, you probably own things from them. And um, they wanted to do the, um, they wanted to do the quick wins. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of termed it as this kind of quick wins addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, businesses are so focused on kind of, you know, generating revenue revenue immediately that even when faced with, here's he this kind of large list of opportunities, and this is why these things are the right things to do. They kind of discount the, the kind of mid to long term, only focusing on the short term and only looking at revenue. And I thought, well, why is it, you know, I started to do the five whys with myself. Why is it that, you know, these organizations don't want to do these things, which is what I'm considering to be where the value is. And um, I I thought, well, I know how to sort of create these participatory platforms where more people are involved and um, there's actually kind of this value for the customers and equal value for the organization. And I thought, what I'll do is I'll codify it. I'll, I'll, I'm going to take a few weeks I'm gonna write it down
2: <laughs>
1: and then um, it it proved to be nothing more than a labor of love um because it was near impossible writing it down because there was so it was this kind of like scene inside the matrix there was just so many kind of moving parts and things that overlap it couldn't actually be turned into a nice flow diagram of oh we just need to do these activities and that's how you make it yeah and I thought, I don't know how to do this. Some of it's happening organically. I'm challenging myself to kind of write it down. And in the end, I thought, I need to kind of um, as we were saying earlier, get into the flow. yeah, think very deeply uh, uh, you know about how and why these things should be done, and then r- write a methodology, which sounds kind of quite grand. And the more I kind of started, you know, unpicking that uh, subject matter, I, I guess the more complex it became. And in the end, I thought I'm going to use the channel, the format of a of a of a book yeah. to help me explore like how this thing should actually be kind of put together. And I thought one of the big things, and this is kind of again, it's a strange thing to say and do, but it's true. I would put normally put a methodology together that has some IP and value to it. And I would sell that as a consulting service, right. either direct or, you know, within kind of another consultancy or, you know, agency. And I thought one thing that's happened and I've observed this kind of increasing over time, a lot, a lot of organizations um, have been insourcing talent. So, they don't want, they don't want someone to come and do it for them. They want mm-hmm. to do it themselves. Yeah. They want they want this um, you know, playbook or mm-hmm. kind right. of pra- practical guide. Yes. So it's like, can you just give us all your 25 years experience, please, and this how you went and figured out this methodology so right. we can do it ourselves. And I thought it's an interesting dilemma. Do I keep the secret source to myself? and sort of have this eureka i've discovered how you do it or how i think it's done or do i basically kind of write it down and give it away so people can do it themselves and over the last kind of six to nine months i've been working as part of a consortium for mind uh, the uk's leading mental health charity mm-hmm. uh, to build out a new uh, platform uh, which has got a learning algorithm uh, behind it and it's been fantastic and massively distressing, an equal measure, because what I've done is I've kind of, and this is why I kind of ended up deciding to kind of publish this book just outright with everything in it and didn't hold back on the kind of the the kind of the original new thinking. There's a real there's a real need to kind of create, and this is for all of us, right? Whether you're a designer or a researcher or whoever, or you know, like even an MD. There's a need on us or as a demand to create services that, um, build people's resilience mm-hmm. and improve their well Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know if it was a global thing, but certainly in the UK, um, last week it was like, you know, there was, um, like world, well I guess it was world mental health day and there's been various like mental health kind of awareness days. And, um, on one, I think it was last Thursday, you know, it said one in eight of us, and it's on a scale, so, you know, bear that in mind, but one in eight of us at any one time is having some suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you've got this kind of, you've got this demand on the left-hand side. You've got this, you know, you've got a set of organizations and, you know, people working in them. And there's this whole kind of, you know massive part of society like a roller coaster that keeps just undulating which is experienced all manner of these um you know mental health issues and i started to think about responsibility and you know well, whose job is that right you know and also it-
0: and also maybe to make the link there um the the addiction to quick wins actually um increases stress for employees, um, it it how you I think mentioned it last time was like it this kind of an air of unhappiness in the workplace. So just to make that link as well, right?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, that's exactly right. There's this piece around um, always being under the cosh, um, which is around um, you know quick, quick, quick. We need to deliver these results. Mm-hmm. So everyone's in a in a space. Uh, where they're feeling under pressure and you know how how good is that an environment to enable people to kind of do the best you know it's not and um i think you know what this is where i think a lot of experienced designers will start saying but i don't have any power or influence over it we start getting into organizational design and operating model because you know that, that is how the company is structured and, you know, how can you as a kind of a practitioner right. start to influence that kind of, um, culture and environment? Um, there's, there's always this kind of Venn diagram. And, uh, I think, you know, we're going to recognize two parts of it. And the third is always in the bin, uh, which is, you know, we've got experience, we have data and we have this other thing called culture. Mm -hmm. and um when people are designing they you know they've got all this insight we're a data hungry kind of society Mm -hmm. um we're trying to always deliver these great customer experiences but the bit which everyone kind of forgets about is do we have the right culture and set of behaviors to enable those things to be delivered Mm -hmm. and uh, the answer is for the most part no um and i think quick wins compounds it because there's just an assumption that we're all going to uh, jump on the bus, snap to it, and go and deliver this stuff.
0: Right. And what's like the, what's, so do you have an example of a culture that inhibits, or let's say, who accelerates this kind of like stress and unhappiness in the workplace? And one example, how it could look like, maybe one real world example or, or one like ideal of, of how it could look like before we can maybe go into what we can do um, as um, practitioners, as you say, to, yeah, to so I, think, situation. I think,
1: I think, you know, a real world kind of problematic example is in retail. Um, you know, you, you've, you've got this often what you call blended retailer uh, approach, which is bricks, clicks, and people. So we've got this large footprint. People's, you know, uh, behaviors have changed over mm-hmm. the time, but right. the you know retail organisations have done nothing about it. So they've comp- continued to own this physical space, these stores in the same format, and the traditional way of measuring store performance was literally on like kind of per square foot, as in the you know yeah. the, the revenues achieved. Right. So those models n- are now like looking like these kind of physical spaces are not fit for purpose. Then there's been this kind of almost competitor in the room, which is themselves, where they've been building their own e-commerce functionality. And you know those services haven't been integrated in any way to the kind of the real estate, maybe at best some kind of simplistic uh, click and collect, but actually okay. there's no reason to use that space. And the third part, which has been missed entirely is the people element, which is, are these people just actually drones at delivering it or, or, and how are they involved in any way at Mm -hmm. a more kind of social level? Um, the answer is they've, they've not been designed. And I think, you know, we're starting to see all of retail just, you know, come under just more pressure Mm -hmm. and what can they do, you know, to, to kind of shore up the bank, they just have to be kind of doing, you know, And I don't mean this with any disrespect, but they have to be doing more conversion rate optimization. So that kind of the, the longevity really tightens up into a, let's run this test, we need to see what, you know, it's all like tiny incremental gains and that occupies just everyone's bandwidth. So Mm -hmm. you don't actually have the headspace to do any of the stuff that, which really matters. And, you know, I think, I think we're going to just continue to see retail, you know, go, going down. And, um, I don't know who, there's, there's certainly no brands that kind of really come to mind that, that, that I would kind of point to and say, well, you know, they, they've got the blueprint correct and are absolutely killing it. I think people are starting to try, mm-hmm. but we can argue, you know, is, is it kind of too late? Um, maybe kind of on, on some, on, on like brands that are more positive at trying to build out, you know, community, but still commercial organizations. I think, you know, you've got brands like, uh, Rafa because what they recognized is they are as powerful as their community is passionate about that kind of, you know, um, interest and you know they they've monetized it in in a a particularly good way but i think they've still been very genuine to their like manifesto or mission and you know that kind of clarity of strategy is probably why you know brands like them are actually you know performing really well uh, versus the kind of traditional retail brands which are you know just tanking
0: and then, so have you seen, um, or let's say, if we take your model or your framework into consideration, um, what does a healthy culture look like?
1: <laughs> well, I think you know, we th- there's a whole series, and this is probably the important thing. There's not like a, it's not a a, a checklist approach. Mm. Um, it's about saying. Every every kind of business and organization is unique. So how is that going to be engineered? These particular like values which build that participation. Uh, you know, it could be, for instance, something that's really benefiting. i I I'll give you a really good example of something that I've been thinking about mm-hmm. that comes to mind. Let's let's take uh, pensions, right? I bet everyone's emotional reaction to that was boring <laughs> um not very interested something that so far in the future it's not really meaningful you know so what right it's something I get at work and it's something I probably should be doing so we have kind of we do have an emotional reaction to it but it's largely to ignore it so if you start if you start thinking about how that could be engineered right? there there could be a whole suite of um services that sit inside this right there could be things for instance like price checking where you might set a threshold you might say i I know myself my sister um is in market for a new tv and we've had a look at putting a shortlist together and i said we could use camel 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 which i love to death i think it's a brilliant service where you can Mm -hmm. uh, post um, an Amazon URL in and see you know its pricing. You can set an alert uh, for that. You might have kind of some access to read only where, you know, whether it's your savings, credit cards, other accounts. So as a, as a provider, they gain a rich picture into your financial life. They're not doing anything with it. It's just so they can understand you. Then you might have somewhere really useful, like, you know, you might call it like a policy center, a place where all this kind of documentation is actually kind of stored in a useful and usable way. I know myself, I actually made a home insurance claim recently and it was torturous as an experience to the point where I almost thought, why am I bothering? Mm -hmm. And um, you've also got, you know, as an employee, all these workplace benefits, whether that's like holiday, you know, pension schemes and that kind of thing and health. And then the last thing is we've got We've got lending in financial services. So these, just call them the service towers. They are, they are towers. They're independent. They usually are kind of built up quite high. You know, people have done a really good job and they work well, but they work well on their own. Mm-hmm. Things start to get interesting when you apply um, an integration uh, between them. So there's you know there's different types of kind of integration, um, whether it's kind of something that's just functional or maybe it's uh, something that's so, so social or it could even be something that's really disruptive. And when you go through the process, think about my my mental model for this is physical towers mm-hmm. and putting walkways between them, building mm-hmm. the connections. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might say if you wanted to um, build, build something which is around like, you know, social, you might say, well, from our workplace benefits, could we, if we're not using all of the, the, the kind of, I guess, the benefit in that part, can we use that in any way as part of a lending scheme? Because at the moment, them two things are completely isolated, and when you start applying, you know, a matrix of values and seeing, you know, how can you create well-being? The kind of the three things, you, you, you I guess the homework question was, what does good look like for an organization? Well, mm-hmm. there's three things: you're creating well-being, you're driving engagement, and you're enabling a co-creation, whether that's employee to employee or employee to customer. Yeah, and. In that kind of financial services example we say well things can get connected a group can choose discounts so we all might say well together we choose to get this discount so we're acting we've got good herd instinct, sort of getting behind something because we all buy into it then what so let's just take something really simple right let's pensions at the moment is probably at best once a year, right? right? And I know this myself, <laughs> having right. not engaged with it. Yes. So, at best, I said. So look, what happens if I said to you, we've already said we can get these gift cards. and So you get that through most bene- workplace benefit schemes. And typically, on a £100 gift card, you can get them for supermarkets. You'll get either between 5 and £10. Pretty big kind of discount. Mm -hmm. right, you're going to the grocery store every week anyway, and you've got that regular spending going on. So if you use that, you've paid £90 to get £100 of value at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. There's £10 now available. You you haven't had to, like, you know, do anything other than to live your life (laughs) like normal. And, you know, what can happen there is, that can get put into an investment fund, you know, for lending where you can look at people and this can be, you know, a particular community could be just within that company or like, you know, your local area and you can, uh, you know, provide that loan to them.
2: Mm. And
1: that loan is an investment. So there's, Mm -hmm. there's growth there. There's growth of the kind of, you know, the fund, but it's done in a very social way. Yeah. So you get, you know, you get the good kind of the good feeling from it. It's very positive. You haven't right. really had to do very much. You're doing it together and everybody's benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. But and this kind of goes also- the conversation from pension once a year, not really that interested in it right. to uh, it's something I'm engaged with almost on a daily basis, just by the nature of kind of, you know, buying stuff.
0: Right. I think like this also goes into you know that a lot of um, companies and individuals as well, um, they're not really thinking about these kind of service or service connections because they also might not maybe take the take up the responsibility of that it could be their task to to change or, or create these services because I found interesting you kind of told me beforehand that um, we were saying the age of digital is dead in your, <laughs> in your sense and it kind of um, it, uh, you have two new ages that you are that you are talking about. Are and you? I really want to get into this as well because I think it's it's super interesting um, to hear and also empowering to hear for both companies and individuals on um, what these two ages are that are upon us
1: um yeah i will there we oh, go yeah i'm sharing that mm-hmm. so i'll give, give everyone this is again it's kind of a, it's an opinion uh but it's been formed through this kind of process of you know understanding the methodology or writing mm-hmm. it at least so i've started if, if we think about behavior and impact on mental health what we've got is we've got a, a business need or a demand to have m- more and frequent interaction. So businesses use uh, methodologies, and the one the biggest one that comes to mind that's used in healthcare especially is combi If you haven't read about combi just send me an email and I'll happily talk to you for a very long time about it. <laughs> and, uh, let, let, let you know all about the pros and cons of it. There's lots of other frameworks as well, like Mindspace and stuff. They all have a similar kind of um, mechanism at the heart of kind of incentivizing people, running through a cycle and kind of rewarding them. Uh, they're, they're, they're all of the same kind of nature. But what's happening is people, a lot of these things, be, and because of the technology platform and the operating system, we're able to deploy ECRM. And that can be a push notification or it could be an email you know everything doesn't revolve around notifications but it's some form of um alert some kind of trigger it's being kind of put there to get you to respond in some way and what what's actually happening with this is it's building an addiction
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um when i started to dig into it with, with you know my kind of involvement with mind i said well Well, what what does that kind of look like? And they said, John, we're seeing, you know, an eighth of the population exhibiting post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. But these people haven't been in, like, warfare. You know, you normally think of post-traumatic stress disorder from, like, you know, soldiers and, you know, people, people who've been in this sort of, you know, highly intensive kind of atmosphere it's the kind of the neurochemical effect of seeing you know when someone's liked or commented on a post, whether it's in Facebook or you know Twitter or whatever. we're all We're all kind of building this anxiety, this massive anxiety mm-hmm. um, which has resulted in businesses actually trying to kind of um, get us to do more and more frequently. And I think you know even this week, I do see leaders um, acknowledging in it, finally, that these things are, are 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 bad, you know, because that's what it's resulting in. I don't know how many people have installed the, the new OS X uh, Catalina. Yeah, the first DDA. thing that, that it kind of asks you to set up is managing your kind of uh, usage analytics mm-hmm. because they recognize that, you know, being addicted to the black mirror, whether it's, you know, that size or this size is irrelevant. Right. It is actually damaging to us ma- massively. Yeah. And businesses have been responsible in, in driving that. So I've started to kind of forecast this, you know, you can see on this kind of bottom curve, yeah. we'll call it the age of digital. I think, I think we've gone through the crest. We all know like Moore's law is starting to kind of break down. Yeah. And We're now on the decline where people are going to start playing a more and more active role themselves and businesses in managing that responsible use of digital in the widest sense. And I started to think about, you know, in terms of participation and whose job is it, I thought we're actually on this trajectory at the moment, and this is not meant to be political or anything, but we can all see you know with many of the world leaders that are there today we can all have our opinions about them and you know there's all the kind of big causes that are going on around sustainability you know we've all kind of seen in london and uh, well everywhere that you know you've got movements like extinction rebellion um, mm-hmm. kind of you know these are not a few kind of tree huggers who are just kind of, you know, doing a little protest and then no one's actually paying any attention. Right. That this this is this is now about people making the demand actually on these organisations and these governments to take action. We, we don't want to hear about, like, what they might do. We want to see right. what they're going to do. And I think this is starting to kind of grow at a mm-hmm. you know, real accelerated pace what um, do
0: you think? Um, do you stop. think the companies are actually doing it? Um, because we talked about quick wins before, which is always this kind of revenue-driven yeah. um, mindset, right? And so, do you see a real shift in this age of responsibility within the companies um, towards this age of responsibility, or are you seeing that there's kind of a grassroots pressure from the people? kind of situation
1: yeah it's the latter i think it's mm. i think it's coming bottom up it's yeah. from the individuals i think they're creating the the demands mm-hmm. and some organizations some businesses are starting to think about you know what they should do over the token you know i mean I, i'm sure everyone's seen this like these token csr initiatives Uh, I had a meeting the other day in a really large agency, probably one of the most famous names in the world. And they had this one day where (laughs) this environmental day and and planner who I know said, this is just total bullshit. Right. We're not going to change a damn thing. It's just, we're taking the box. We've got, we've probably made some
0: Instagram
1: Instagram posts of us all doing this stuff. You know, (laughs) aren't we great? And he said, but we're not right, and actually, the people that work there, the employees, they're taking it really seriously because we all recognize that now is the time for action, right? And I think you know businesses are starting to understand that. But one, but I think the reference is how do you commercialize it? What is there? A, where, where is there a revenue opportunity? So because
0: businesses are still going to look for that, right? Absolutely. And I mean, and in the long are. term, it's just hard to measure.
1: You, right. you have to, yep. you know, this is where you can't be very purist and blinkered and say, well, right. we've got to do it. We've got no choice. You have a commercial organization that's got some, uh, some shareholder responsibility right. or, or it's got certainly responsibility to its employees. You know, if that business like, for instance, Thomas Cook recently you know, is right. mismanaged, mm-hmm. you end up with many multiple thousands of people affected by poor company behavior. Right, that that's the kind of the result of not being responsible. And I think what, what I would say to people is all business leaders. If you engineer, you engineer the kind of the operating model. So it is participatory and you've got, you, you are being responsible in increasing people's well-being, you know, and collaboration, the engagement, the, this kind of co-creation then what you're going to do is you're going to build up this kind of, um, you know, pack of trust in the Mm -hmm. brand because you are doing the right thing. But actually what you're doing is you're, you're establishing more social connections and we can all argue how digital has kind of, you know, started to squash that stuff. If you, if you go, if we come back to the kind of mental health argument just for a moment, There's there's three things you can do, right, (laughs) to increase your resilience and and build your, uh, you know, well-being. The best way of thinking about it is, it's a bit like a mobile phone battery. It Mm keeps, it keeps when you just use it and even use it a little bit, it depletes. Right, you have to keep charging this stuff up, right,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and and that that's kind of really challenging to do. And there's three ways that you can do that charging. You can either do stuff that's really social, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you can do stuff that's really physical, or you can do stuff that's creative.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You get maximum effect when you try and kind of, think about it as a Venn diagram, when you combine things together. So, you know, go, go, in in my case, I like doing kind of, uh, you know, windsurfing and those kind of water things. If I do it on my own, it's like pretty enjoyable. If I do it and I meet up all my friends, it's, it's a f- thousand times better. Right. Actually, that kind of combination effect is what re- really can increase resilience. The thing, what you get as a byproduct of that is frequency. You get this these social groups wanting to come together often. So, if you're a retailer, let's just say, for instance, you're in apparel, you make mm-hmm. jackets, that jacket, well, that customer might have no need to have a relationship with you because they're going to keep that jacket for three, five, seven years, right? Whereas if you're building these communities, they're going to be, you know, having something to do with each other on a weekly, even, you know, shorter kind of frequency, maybe even daily. So think about that, you know, as a retailer, I'm trying to engage my audience. At the moment, there's no way of reaching them other than continue to push comms at them. And actually i built a community where they want to interface with me on a, weekly basis. Mm -hmm. So I am building habit, but I'm building habit through community. And the kind of the last bit of this uh, is around, you know, we only have to look at kind of computing power and algorithms to start really appreciating this automation that can happen, you know, and my kind of thing, why this is linked to responsibility is you're not going to give permission. You know, we're, again, as part of this decline of age of digital, we're we're being more aware of our data footprint and managing our data. That's definitely increasing. Um, you know, We are being responsible as individuals and in managing our data, but we've got to have trust. If I'm going to just kind of give over my response, you know, my actions to you as mm-hmm. a business, where you're going to, quite frankly, you know, take control, then who am I gonna trust? I'm gonna trust the types of business who've been really responsible, who generated, you know, increased well being for lo- you know, lots and lots of kind of communities. Right. Or I'm gonna or or I'm gonna start trusting, you know, these old quick win addicts who've been just kind of trying to use all the usual persuasive design trickery to get me to kind of, you know, do stuff.
0: And I mean, this also spills over into um, actually the employees' well-being, right? Because I mean, if you're working on manipulative products, if you want, um, Mm -hmm. you know that as an individual, right? And and so you won't have the same as you mentioned, participation or or kind of passion for the topic because you know you're not necessarily improving um, the mental health or whatever. All the responsibility you put upon yourself, but you are actually making it worse. And so, one question for, for me would be like, okay, so I'm a designer, I'm a researcher um, at a at a company, and um, you know these kind of dark patterns are going on. And I mean, we we talked a bit about beforehand, and we're both also guilty of this. I think we're all worked on products yeah we all worked on products or are um um, indulging in behavior where we're like yeah okay that's not so bad you know let's let's ship that feature even, even if it's actually addiction inducing let's say but so so that being aside like right it's not we're not bad people because of that but now what can we do in this age of responsibility if i'm working in a company who doesn't get it yet um, what can I do as a designer, as a researcher in order to actually take up that responsibility and prepare ourselves for this age of automation?
1: Yeah, I mean it's the you know it's it's the pirate challenge, isn't it? you know the pirate in the navy it's um, a single pirate you you're not going to change everybody. So, yeah. so kind of you know where where do you start? Right, there's there's often what I see is like these really big backlogs. It's almost like this roadmap is planned out. I have no influence, nor power with this business as usual juggernaut-like steamrolling ahead. Right. So, thanks. It all makes sense, but I can't do anything. I think what what I would say is, and this is this is where, if you want to kind of get noticed, what you've got to do is it almost pains me to say these words you've got to behave like a finance person you can't behave you can't come with the argument of this is good user experience this is meeting these user needs Mm. this is because the financial leaders of the business who, who are control controlling activity let's be clear on that are not interested in that conversation right the things which get their ears enormously and if you haven't read it again i'm happy to kind of talk to people about it is if you if you kind of dig into the detail of what's called cxi customer experience index Mm -hmm. and start looking at like the different types of classification of who's doing things well and what you'll quickly go where is there an opportunity the thing which most companies do is provide somewhere between well poor and good at best emotional experiences, mm-hmm. right? And there's two kind of big metrics here. This is you now behaving. This is you as a researcher behaving like a financial director, right? Cross-sell and uh, kind of, you know, retention. Let's sell people more things and let's right. keep them doing it for longer. Mm-hmm. They're good levers. Well, just to give you a few kind of, you know, a couple of stats. If you're doing your emotional stuff well, you're looking at an impact of around 16% on your cross sell if you drive excellent emotional experiences that just rockets up to 82 Mm percent, and that means more cash in the till Mm -hmm. so you can do your job with your head held high and say well my job is to develop good experiences but you're trying to find in that overall customer journey where are things at the moment where are the weeds where are the things that are just really crappy right and just doing a, knock them out of the park, that make them absolutely phenomenal. And they're just individual little things. You're not right. gonna change the operating model of the business, you know, that's just not gonna happen, right? But what you can do is, you can do that, work with your kind of, you know, data colleagues, and get them to measure that, because that becomes, it becomes this little case study. Mm-hmm. And you can say, you know, you can go, this goes up the food chain and goes up the food chain very quickly, you can say, I was really worried that we were doing this thing not great, and our current like cross sell, you know, you know, commerce cross sell was this. So mm-hmm. you know, we went to town on it with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch, and we made it absolutely amazing. And mm-hmm. now look, and now look what we're doing in terms of cross sell.
2: Yeah.
1: And you'll go, that was one thing, but I can do this a thousand times over. Right. Imagine if we got everybody involved in it what the multiplier effect would be and how we could differentiate our business versus the competitors when you with the data with the evidence of showing them like how you know good and high quality emotional design actually brings financial results yeah that that's when the board is is like um you know on on your side and it's through doing because I think if you go to them saying, this is what you want to do, they're just gonna ignore you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah,
0: sure. I mean, I think it's one thing that I'm often seeing is that a lot of designers and researchers don't really have a lot of the kind of business acumen, and they're also really convinced that they don't need it. Well, Um, I'll
1: I'll tell you one thing, Um, and I I did it intentionally, and it was a baptism of fire. I had a really you know, fantastic job. I certainly felt like I was on my way up in the Digitas LBI group. I was working with a lot of um, very passionate people, very, very talented people. Mm-hmm. And um, I enjoyed, I would say without a lie, I enjoyed 99% of my time there. And I left, right? I left at the point where I was going to get another promotion. Mm-hmm. And you might go, why did I do that? The thing is, we were pitching against these big management consultancy groups, Mm -hmm. and we were not getting a seat at the top table, and we had Mm -hmm. a report from a really big client that had all this operating model stuff in it, and we were like, what the hell is a Tom? Like, seriously, other than a guy called Tom, right? It's a target operating model. And I went and spoke to one of the kind of strategists. and I said, well, how do we do, how do we do this Tom stuff? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I, you know, I decided at that point in time, if you can't beat them, you've got to join them. And you know, I left something I was enjoying enormously and I joined Accenture management consulting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And as a rule of thumb, I did not enjoy it. <laughs> um, But I went there on a mission, a mission to learn how they do things, how they work with business leaders, and Mm -hmm. actually how they get things done. And for all of the faults, they do do a lot of things phenomenally well. And I saw, you know, the types of conversations they were having and how these things were structured. For a big retailer, you know, we did all this kind of pro, we did all this prototyping and I, I felt really you know proud and i'm sure a lot of people hopefully feel that way about the work they do they put some effort in and in the end they said well there's going to be this board meeting which is going to fund quite you know this really significant piece of work and i said well we're we going to show this stuff and they said no we're not interested what we want to know is what it what what is the revenue opportunity of you doing this thing right and um and they said the thing which you can do, John, is actually get very passionate about what this customer experience will feel like, and you need to say these are this is the actual commercial opportunity of doing it. Right. And instead of the managing partner, I actually did the presentation. You know, bumbling my way through it because mm-hmm. I'm I don't have really slick polished presentation skills. I never have, and I doubt I ever will. Uh, it's not you know it's not something I'm phenomenal at. Unfortunately, and um you gotta know your limits. So I went through this stuff, and the CEO, and this guy had been the CEO of big brands like best buy in the states, and goodness knows what. Mm-hmm. He used an expression and it stuck with me, even though it was a few years ago. He said, We cannot not do this. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Does is that a good or a bad thing? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And he said, go and get on with it now and afterwards you know we, we 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 talked about it as a team and they said that literally they would they'd never seen a board meeting happen like that there's been normally a lot more discussion and you know review and it was that bringing of the kind of the business case w- with a very clear experienced vision you know that 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 was what did it yeah yeah and you know what i would say to everybody is we all don't need to go and be management consultants we can right. stay practitioners but if you are trying to convince leadership on an experience kind of com- only conversation they they're not going to give it much attention
0: yeah and i mean and i think the 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 term of like they just don't get it um, doesn't really help either, right? I mean, so
1: they, they do get it, they are they are running a company. Right. What, they're, what they're not interested in is the detail, that's your job, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, um, in the last conversation we had, um, with uh, boss Pierce from Skyscanner, he was mentioning something similar that, um, he he always tries to kind of make it a make it a story in a way but then also have the business aspects inside when he pitches something um and not only um, how good the experience will be but actually what the what the what the bottom line um will will say
1: after it's implemented you've got to come you've got to come with some ammo don't come with what i want to do yeah come with what i've done show 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 the evidence right yeah. With that, I did this job, and this is this was the impact on the cross sell. This is this is how many more people came and you know completed the sale in our store. What what was the result of it? When right. when when those people see the evidence, they're really bright people. They just go, they just go, yes. They don't actually even want to kind of have a long conversation about it. Just go, go and do it. Right. But yeah. if you just come with like that kind of um, you know, it's the long list approach of going, well, if only we did this stuff, well why should that why should they fund that? You know, because it's all hypothetical. Right. You need to bring the evidence to that conversation.
0: And so how I mean, if if I'm a researcher or designer and I'm in a company and um, and I want to kind of impact how should I say that? Improve um, or or take more responsibility for certain issues. Is there any? any um, I hate to say the word quick wins. Is there any kind of? Uh, no, do not say website. Yeah, I don't want to say the word quick wins, <laughs> um, even though I did. Um, no, I mean like, h- what can I what can I do to have a lot of impact? Because I mean, there's a million things I can work on, right? I mean. Do, do you usually do like, like audits? Do you That's do where
1: to start. Right? You said? The biggest emotional shift. Take yeah. something at the moment which is completely crap for the customer, yeah. but you've got to measure it right. You've got to. You've got to do. I mean, in, in again, let's. We've got to use the right language here. You've got. You've got two states. You've got an as-is state and a to-be state. You yeah. need to record all the metrics of what's going on in that as-is state. You need to do the work. You need to show what's going to happen, have a hypothesis, in mm-hmm. the 2B state will happen. Then you find out when you've done it. That That's what you've got to do. And that's what you can report back and be like, this was my hypothesis. You know, we believed that this was terrible because of these metrics. Da, 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 da. We did this, right? And we thought this would be the impact. And then this is what we actually found. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've done that for a really big mobile telco, uh, especially kind of, Again, it was kind of counterintuitive. They wanted to do upsells during the basket checkout. But mm-hmm. for me, it's like it's a leaky colander in, in, in the flow. Yeah. You've got someone who's gone, right, they're committed. And yeah. what you're doing is you're distracting them. And we said, right. how about on confirmation page, you actually reward them and say, that's amazing. You're going to get this like latest whatever handset really mm-hmm. soon. And as a thank you for buying it, you can have – off like a a cover or, you know, one of those kind of things, the the upsells they were trying to make. And you know, that business said, well, you know, this is significant margin for us. And I said, but I believe that's a distraction. It's a bad customer experience. When, when they went to the new model that a couple of us worked on and they got a 40% increase in revenues. Mm -hmm. The first thing they said is, um, how much more of this can you do? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Because, and it was, it was evidenced. I could have persuaded and nagged them to death. And I'm very persistent. I could have nagged them to death about doing that because as a designer, I didn't like it. I've got the research to say users didn't like it. It's a weed. It's a bad experience. It's me moaning about it. Yeah. When I went, when I went and met their MD, and said, we changed the flow, this is where we injected the upsell and we increased revenues by 40%. Mm-hmm. They didn't see me as a whining designer at that point, they saw me as a guy that can make them money.
0: Yeah, right, right. But which which, in the end, as you say, they are trying to run a business, right? It actually goes, yeah. um, since we're already up for the, we already talked an hour, as I said, it goes fast. Um, uh we can kind of segue into the into the q q a um charitz we asked a similar question i just asked how can a designer make an impact in the company which has a revenue target um sort of mindset we we talked a a, a bit about this now so basically um start small and try to
1: yeah first of all catalog catalog it by emotion so you know, my, my my kind of question back is: Have you got the customer journey mapped with an emotional, you know, a controlled emotional vocabulary? Do you understand from an evidence point of view where it is really, really negative? Because, like, there's probably ten thousand mm-hmm. things that you could change. Right. But how do you know like, where you're going to start, mm-hmm. and then pick that one which is really terrible? And record the data for it, because if you're not recording the data for it, it's just your argument, right? You would be like, "Well, we thought you know this was really crappy, so we did all this work, and now look, look, it's making all this money." But mm-hmm. you've got to show you've got to show to the leadership that kind of the shift from you know state A to state B. It's the business case, right? Because they'll also be interested in, right? So how much resource burn did, did you know was the during that time? So that's brilliant that you increase revenue by X, but if it required like ten people from engineering for three months to do it, right? You know, they're always think. You know, leaders uh, of you know large commercial organizations are always there's a, there's two dimensions you're plotting. They're, I can literally, you know, inside their heads, everything is plotted on value versus feasibility. It's value to company mm-hmm. first. Next one is. Like value to customer, and third value is like fit to our strategy, but then feasibility is operational. Like, have we got the resources to deliver it, and right. capabilities? Do we need to buy more capabilities or change them to do it? Mm-hmm. So when you come with a suggestion, they're quickly calculating this value versus feasibility thing of going, well, it might give us all of this, but if we've got to make this an enormous operational investment to achieve that revenue, right? is there something else I can do faster, which will achieve the same amount of revenue with less resource? Right. And I mean, I hate giving these things as a pitch, um, cause you know, I'm, I'm not keen on them, but if you are coming to that, um, UX live conference, um, they wrote me in <laughs> or asked me to, um, do a workshop on how you do this type of prioritization for right. business audiences. Yeah, and if you're not coming to it, then send me an email, and I'm happy to talk to you about it anyway. Okay, good. Cheers.
0: Um, so there is uh, one question, probably a quick one from Andy. When is the Mind site going live? I mean, you you mentioned in the in in the beginning. Um...
1: So <laughs> yeah, the um, so the pure directory site is actually live at the moment, but. We're trying to keep it a real top secret because the machine, yeah, not really. Uh, The machine learning engine piece is going to be turned on uh, in a Mm -hmm. week's time. You know, as a piece of service design, what's been really phenomenally interesting, and a lot of people are talking about AI. I think a lot of people are not doing it or not (laughs) really. And you know what? What we've done is we've got a whole list of services, and we are using healthcare professionals to train the engine. So we've built mm-hmm. you know, a good a good lot of use cases, all based on real people. I mean, one of the things uh, I'm gonna get started on this, <laughs> I'll try and make it short, but there, you don't have just depression or just anxiety or just insomnia. It's yeah. like a graphic equalizer. You have a little bit of this and a bit of that and actually it changes right. that's the reality for all of us. And we've said, well that's a real use case so based on that person what could be the best thing for them right the best service for them mm-hmm. and you know our machine learning engine comes up with a use case the healthcare professional like a you know a gp reads through it and goes right and then it, and then our engine provides what it, it thinks Are the right services, and they the training interface goes, Mm. No, I wouldn't recommend it. Maybe I'd recommend it, or yes, it's a really good idea. And all of that data is going back into training the actual engine. In terms of this, like we said earlier, or I said a lot earlier about people, right? The technology, and I know it was hard that the team that did it, right? There's lots of really clever stuff happened,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and I don't dispute that. And lots of people thinking and, and whatever. But actually, the thing which has made a difference is a big community of these healthcare practitioners and professionals who are dedicating time to tra- training the machine, because that's what's going to make this thing, you know, well, in my mind, uh, phenomenally powerful. And, you know, there's lots of initiatives in this space, and lots of them are, you know, incredibly well funded. And, um, you know, we've taken a really, really different approach to it. So, again, if someone wants to get in contact, I'm happy to talk for hours.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe you can quickly put your, your email in the chat, actually, so people yeah, can um, reach out, out
1: to you, you dot .services, that will be the um, – that'll be the – I'll put it here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If people – just so people know, I'm happy to do Zoom. Um, meetings and if people have got the same kind of topic thing what I'll do is I'll just schedule a time that works for most people and we can have an hour uh, getting into the detail on a framework like Combi or you know whatever people are interested in.
0: Mm -hmm, Cool. Um, Andre was asking and I think it's gonna be the last question we're already a bit over. what do you see as the future of branding in a world where service experience is becoming more and more important um i think we're actually talking about um one aspect of it which i'm seeing a lot remember when we talked about everlane.com like this fashion brand for example transparency for example is one trend that i'm seeing in branding brands that are um uh going above and beyond in terms of transparency are winning long-term?
1: So that's a really good question. Again, it's one I can go into a lot more detail with separately, but my kind of you know short answer is it's around the use of experience principles because you can't assume, because a brand has got two parts to it, right? It's got the look and it's got the feel. Mm. And what people have historically done is they've always assumed that the look would be there you have all these visual markers, right? Typefaces, faces, color, whatever. Right. Right. So when people see it, they have this kind of, you know, shortcut in the mind to this is what this company's like and I subscribe to it or, or don't. That is going away because with, you know, the new, the new version of, you know, branding in my mind is around more collaboration through technology where you've got APIs. Mm-hmm. Well, APIs don't have a look they they only have the rational kind of part so um i was i worked with asda quite a few years ago and they've got a really strong culture and i said you know what we need to try and do is understand that culture and codify it as an experience principle so if we strip away all the green it's this thing is going to still feel asda and um yeah in the end I, i Again, I I wrote a a particular methodology for that on how you go from kind of company vision through the brand values, which you have to have to write um, a set of experience principles and then how they're modified to the individual, you know, customer needs or personas. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm happy to share that, you know. Yeah, yeah, just get get in touch and I'll, I'll send you the framework and we can talk about it.
0: One interesting thing about branding as well is that because companies are much more visible nowadays, um, and what's and the going on inside the companies are much much more visible, is that these traditional values that people put up, you know, these like um, uh, that they put on their website, um, and the disparity between um, these values that they put on the website and what's actually going on um, uh-huh. are more and more visible, right? Uh-huh
1: that's called image wrapper. That's, there's kind of this externalized, this is what we say, and this is what we do. And then there's this kind of thing around it, which is the, the reality. Right. And if two things don't match, then there's no trust. And, you know, to bring us, you know, maybe a good fitting end is let's talk about the age of automation. This 20, you know, where we can say, you know, in only maybe 10 years, Mm 2030, right. We've got, such levels of sophistication and technology where lots of menial things, whether it's driving and whatever, grocery stuff, is just taken care of
2: right.
1: by technology, by, you know, machines, machine learning engine. Who, who, who is developing their brand which is going to build that kind of participatory kind of community right. which, which delivers the trust to enable that automation to take place? Mm-hmm. I think I think we're kind of at this perfect crossroads as practitioners and businesses. We we have a choice. We can continue to and my wife will kill me with with a film reference. But it does feel like I show my age. <laughs> it feels like the matrix with the red pill or the blue pill. Uh-huh. We can we can we can go we're just going to continue playing the game. Right. Or we can go no. Lots of things are broken and we have to start making these kind of changes over here through action than talking about it. Right. And I think, you know, that's a that's a kind of a fundamental question that you need to ask yourself because only you can answer it, whether that's something you want to kind of just talk about or it's, and, and look at or it's something you're going to do.
0: Yeah. Which takes us to the
1: responsibility, right? Yeah. 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 Be responsible.
0: Beautiful um i think that's a good way to um end uh, we're already 10 minutes over but that um, happens on this podcast so uh quick question do you have any i always ask this at the, at the end do you have any resources that um, you can particularly recommend for people to um to kind of look into this more deeply what we talked about um you sent me a few books beforehand, but maybe you also showed me one beforehand with the pirates.
1: The, yeah, the, I mean, the, if you want
0: to might be interesting. <laughs> if, if you because want I like be... people to be pirates inside their company. Yeah, and take I mean, it's responsibility. Like an
1: old school one. Um, yeah. and, um, it's when I was working client-side, and I'm sure people will recognize this, I felt like I didn't fit in. Um, because, uh, you know, this was the process and this is the way of doing it. And I'm like, that's rubbish. Uh, it's, it's called the pirate inside. Mm. Um, and it just basically it. talks about how to, how to kind of behave like, you yeah. know, like you're in the Navy, get things done, but actually to your own agenda. Um, it's quite, it's quite fun. Um, <laughs> I mean, other ones that kind of come to mind, if you haven't read it, again, this is back to the consulting and the business speak, you should read Outside In uh, by Forrester. Um, It's not a difficult or horrible dry business book to read. It's not terrible or torturous in any way. Um, and that, you know, the, the kind of, conne- the Outside In gives you some of the construct about how to talk about experiences, creating the kind of commercial value. Oh, thanks, mm-hmm. to Putting on the link that's wonderful Um a couple others that kind of um, come to mind and again something that's a little bit probably different from the things that people are normally looking at Um, there's a book called high performance thinking skills um, from um, uh, SP Reid and it's got a hundred really practical kind of techniques for, you know, how you can really challenge, you can use them yourself to really kind of push your thinking mm-hmm. to get outside that kind of comfort zone. I think that's that's fundamentally, you know, a, a, an absolute brilliant one. And um, probably the last one, which is something quite practical and full of really just good stuff, um, is Webs of Influence by Natalie Nahai. And, uh, you know, she's got a lot of things in there around kind of cultural adaptation and uh, you know, I think we both subscribe to the same principle of doing things that can help people rather than manipulate them. So she's got quite a lot of stuff in there, um, around persuasion and persuasive design, but it's all done in a white hat, a white hat kind of mm-hmm. way, rather than the black hat manipulative one mm-hmm. and. Again, it's 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 quite a nice practical thing to kind of read through. And awesome. um I find her to be quite responsive. Again, if you've got particular questions on
2: uh-huh.
1: how have you done it, <laughs> send her an email, she gets back to you. And oh cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think that's that's certainly a, a good one to look at.
0: All right. Thank you very much. I think this gives us some um more resources to dig into this topic. Um and to anything, so you have uh, a Twitter account, right? LinkedIn. Um, oh yeah,
1: all the usual. All the
0: usual. <laughs> so if you wanna uh, follow Obviously, John uh, on his adventures, um, then.
1: is uh, on a- Amazon, <laughs> if you, you want to get into more of the participatory experience.
0: And then you have your book, exactly. Maybe also Tamara can um, uh, paste that um, in there. Um, your new book that just came out in September, actually, that talks a lot about what we talked about today. Um, And then last but not least, um, Miles, our buddy Miles from um, Tech Circus and UX Live, he um, put in the uh, discount code, so you have 50% off um, from the UX Live tickets. So use the code Let's Talk UX Live. It's also in the chat Um, if you want to see John's Talk and you have a workshop as well. You said, right?
1: Yeah, it's on yeah. it's on the prioritization. So how to kind of you know process that backlog for business leaders? Awesome, great.
0: Okay, um, any parting words? Is there any request you would like to make, John, um, uh, towards the the audience and the world at large? Um, mm. Maybe connecting to what we talked about today. Is there anything you would like people to do?
1: Yeah, I think, I think, you know, we can all be responsible for kind of trying to improve our work, with, whether that's kind of, you know, just experience or everything around that, the kind of the technology and the, re, and the kind of, you know, the design and the data parts. But the thing which I'd, I'd ask you to do is look at the behavioral change required in you, the organization around you for people to really kind of make that thing is kind of participatory and social as possible and you know I think one of the things which people don't talk about which is really important is if you're asking someone to do something new or increase some kind of behavior we don't have infinite resources we only have so many brain cycles you need you need to think about like what you're going to do in terms of you know declining or lessening something else You only, you know, you need to kind of have that seesaw effect and uh, don't just kind of pile more tasks on people because that kind of, you know, it is the quick wins, addictive mentality of we just do more, we just do more, we just do more. And that's what, you know, kind of breaks people. And uh, just think about that kind of behavior of what's going to decrease and stop to enable something new to start.
0: Great advice. Thank you very much, John. Was a great conversation, and um, hope to have you back on another time.
1: Yeah, if anyone's got any more questions, wants things, uh, yeah, we're yeah, I'm happy to give it to them. That's fine. Okay, cool. Thank you very much,
0: and um, have a nice day, everyone.
1: Yeah. Cheers. Cheerio. Bye.
0: Cheers. Bye.